the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and we're going to read the first 18 verses as we prepare to hear God's Word. John, chapter 1, and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. And from the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Last week I said that according to Isaiah chapter 2, the, the one thing that is radically wrong with our world is that man is out of place and that the Lord is coming again to put man in his place, to establish the right order of things once more, which is the Lord alone will be exalted in that day, and the pride of man will be brought low. That's the way it's supposed to be. And that's the way it will be forever and ever when Christ returns. Well, what went wrong was sin. And there's nothing more arrogant than sin by which we put ourselves above God. Our thoughts above his, our desires and pleasures above his, our will and way above his will and way. This past week, I was reminded again of our nation's Pledge of Allegiance. When I was a boy, kids, the day began standing beside your desk with your hand over your heart and your eyes looking up at the flag, pledging, promising, devotion, allegiance, to that flag, and to the republic for which it stands. One nation. What's the next two words? Under God. God, Indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. 
Now, whether or not we as a nation ever really accomplished that is beside the point. That was the right order that was held before us every day of school. That our rightful place as a nation and as individuals in that nation is under God. Under his supreme authority, under his moral laws, under his providential care and ordering of our ways. But as a nation, we're increasingly abandoning that order and putting ourselves above God. So if we don't like his definition of marriage and gender, we just change it with with what we like and what we find convenient. And if we don't like his moral laws, we, we just ignore them and live by our own truth. His laws that protect every life made in the image of God, whatever the color of skin, whatever the age, whether in the womb or in the nursing home, precious in his sight. That law, we just abandon it. We put our laws Above God's laws. God's law protecting every man's property. God's command to government to maintain the the rule of law and order in the land. And instead, more and more on the streets to the highest courts of the land, every man is doing what is right in his own eyes, putting himself above God instead of under God. And do you know what goes out the window when we no longer put ourselves under God? Liberty and justice for all. When man exalts himself above God, makes himself a law to himself and does what's right in his own eyes, then somebody else will always get the shaft, will not get liberty and justice. You see, that's a benefit of living under God the judge and sovereign ruler of the universe. You can't get rid of the judge and his just laws and still have liberty and justice. But but King Jesus is coming again. And he loves righteousness and justice and he will judge the world with righteousness and justice. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Alone will be exalted in that day. And the pride of man brought low, even to the lowest hell. But here's the beautiful thing. Even now, God is putting some men in their place. Some in judgment, others in mercy. For he does have mercy on those whom he will have mercy, the scriptures tell us. Even now, there are boys and girls, men and women, whom God is emptying of their proud rebellion. And bringing in humble faith to Jesus Christ for mercy. They're seeing their sin for what it is. How arrogant to put themselves above him. And they're humbling themselves before the Lord. And seeking his mercy. And finding that he does indeed delight to give grace to those who are humble. Saving them from their sins. Recently a young man told me that he had been living for himself. Making his own plans of Of what he wanted to do. Leaving God out completely. And God scrapped the selfish plans that he was pursuing. They crashed and burned and came to nothing. 
And it was a humbling thing, an emptying thing of his self-confidence and self-reliance and self-will. But through it, God showed him his sin and what he was doing with God by ignoring him and not including him in his life, just living without him. And so brought low and humble, he cried out to God for mercy. And he found it. For he always gives mercy to those who sincerely seek it. And he received the forgiveness of sins and a new life now worth living God's way with Christ at the center, with him under God. An abundant life, peace with God, fellowship with God that will never end. And so looking back, he's now able to say that he's thankful that God emptied him. That he might fill him with himself and his great salvation. Blessed emptying of ourselves that we might be filled with himself and his saving grace. That's why God empties us. The old hymn, emptied that thou mightest fill us. He empties us that he might fill us. Remember Gage on stage up here? Suitcases in his hands kept him from receiving all the gifts I had to give him. But once he dropped what was in his hands, he was then able to receive the gifts. Well, that's the grace of humility. And that's its relation to the grace of faith. So if we could have the overhead, we're looking at four graces of the Christian life. Critical graces, that triad of graces, faith, hope, and love, plus one, humility. And so we've really pushed you today. We've left four blanks, so let's see how we do together. Humility, the great faith, the great love, the great And hope, the great motivator. Good for you. Good for you. We're we're, we're making our way through these graces one by one. And we're seeing their interrelation. And we'll see that continuing. We come to look more closely at the second grace. Faith, the great receiver. I don't know how much football we'll be watching this fall. But there's an offensive player whose position is captured by one word. They're called receivers. And there's good reason for it. Because the football is thrown to them and they receive it. They don't hike it. They don't throw it. They receive it. And that one word uh, capsulizes and shows us the main activity of his role On the team, receiving, receiving. And that one word capsulizes the main role of faith in our lives. Receiving. Now, faith is more than receiving, but nevertheless, faith, the great receiver. So we we turn to John's gospel and immediately we're introduced to this amazing person called the word. He doesn't do as Matthew and Luke and start with the nativity scene. He goes way back before the nativity because he wants us to know that the babe in the, of Bethlehem didn't get his start there. But he's from eternity. 
And so we meet this amazing purpose, this, this amazing person called the Word. In the beginning was the Word. He was already there. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. We come later in John's Gospel to learn that this Word is none other than God's own eternal Son, who is God and was with God the Father from all eternity. And so he was with him there in the beginning of the universe. And so far from himself being created, we're told that it was through him, through this word, this person, the Son of God, that through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. He's eternal God, the creator of all that exists. And then down in verse 14, we learn that this amazing purpose had an amazing stoop. For the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He who was from eternity became one of us, took our humanity, a true human being. But in doing so, he didn't cease to be God. For John says, we've seen his glory. And not just any glory. You know, the angels have a certain kind of glory. But not that was not the Word's glory. No, the Word made flesh. We've seen His glory. It was the glory of the one and only Son. Who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And the rest of the Gospel makes plain the reason He became man. The reason He, he made this stoop was that He might save His rebellious creatures. He might save his condemned sinful man by dying as man in their place under God's curse and wrath. So that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. What an amazing stoop. And then we read of the world's amazing rejection of this amazing person. We might well expect the world to be glad for a savior coming to rescue them from sin and hell. Receive him with open arms. But we're told he was in the world. And though the world was made by him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own. But his own did not receive him. They rejected him. They condemned and killed him. The very one who'd come to save them. And then John tells us of some amazing exceptions To this universal rejection. Verses 12 and 13. Yet. Yet. To all who received him. To those who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent. Nor of a human decision. Nor of a husband's will. But born of God. So though the world as a whole rejected him. There were some notable exceptions. Who are they? Notice how they're explained in two phrases. Two parallel phrases. All who received him. That is, all who believed in his name. Believing is receiving. Faith is the great receiver. Faith receives Christ. Believing receives Christ as he's offered to us in the gospel. 
and salvation full and free in him. And that's something that only those born of God will ever do. So how can I illustrate the way that faith receives God's gift? It's hard to improve on the illustrations of Jesus. And he had a beautiful illustration of this in that talk one night that he had with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. That proud Pharisee who snuck through the darkness and under the cover of night came with his questions for Jesus. Nicodemus was a proud Pharisee who was used to thinking that eternal life was something that he could achieve by his own obedience to God's law. And Jesus, in his opening words to him, just knocked the wind right out of his sails. You will never see or enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Your nature... Pharisee Nicodemus, your nature is so bad that you need a whole new start, a whole new heart, a new birth. And this new birth is not something that you can do for yourself. You must be born again. He took it right out of Nicodemus's hands, you see. Born of God. God must do something to you, Nicodemus, or you'll never be saved. You see, it's no can-do religion that Jesus came preaching. You're totally helpless, Nicodemus. You must be born from above by the Spirit of God. Furthermore, your sins so condemn you that no amount of your obedience can undo it. The punishment coming for them cannot be atoned by your own works, but, Nicodemus, God has so loved this world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What is this believing to receive everlasting life? Well, Jesus says, it's just like Moses, who, who lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. And even so... Me, I, the Son of Man, must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have everlasting life. John 3, 14 and 15. So Nicodemus, as Israel's teacher, knew Numbers chapter 21 very well. He knew all about that story. Jesus didn't have to explain it to him. He understood. He searched the scriptures. You remember it? The Israelites grew impatient along the way in the desert, and they grumbled against God and Moses. Now, we might consider that a small sin, not God, because it was putting themselves above God. Your agenda, God, is too slow. We want a quicker agenda. We don't have patience to wait on you. And they were putting themselves above him. So God sent poisonous snakes on a mission To bite them. The creator said to them, go. And they obeyed their creator and went and slithered their way into the Israelite camp and began biting the Israelites. And we're told that many of them died. Well, they came running to Moses. Oh, we've sinned. We've sinned against the Lord. We've sinned against you. Pray that he'll take the snakes away from us. 
So Moses prayed for the people that spoke against him. But God didn't take the snakes away. Instead, he told Moses, you make a snake and put it up on a pole. And anyone who's bitten can look at it and live. Can do what? Just this. Look and live. And that's what Moses did. He made a bronze snake. He put it up on a a pole. and, And anyone who was bitten, who looked, lived. How did sinners receive healing from the bite of death? By looking at God's one way of deliverance. That's it. It was a look of faith, though, wasn't it? Faith, the receiver, the, the great receiver. Faith received the healing. But I don't understand how, how looking there will make any difference here in my body. No, you don't need to. You just need to take God at his word and look and live. Look and live. And looking there is always a look away from here. Because while I'm looking to myself and while I'm attempting home remedies and self-improvement, I am still perishing. There's only life for looking at God's way of salvation. Looking and living is believing and receiving. That's what Jesus says. In the same way that Moses lifted up the serpent and whoever looked lived. So I must be lifted up so that whoever believes, looks in faith, believing, will not perish but have everlasting life. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. Salvation is to be had by a look. A look. And that's what he's telling Nicodemus. It's not by your doing, but by believing. It's not by your works, but by my works. You must turn away from yours and look at mine and look at me and trust me. Put all your hope in me. And you will have eternal life. Me lifted up on a cross, dying there in the place of sinners. For he was wounded for our transgressions there. He was crushed crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are what? We're healed. And, and healing is to be had for a look. A look of faith that receives from Jesus Christ eternal life, healing. But will never turn and trust in his righteousness as long as we're clinging to our own. So that's salvation by faith. We receive with the empty hands of faith Christ and salvation in him. That's how the Christian life begins. It begins with the empty hands of faith receiving. And I must tell you that that's the way the Christian life continues. Not just the first step, but the last step. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And every step in between is it's the look of faith that receives from Christ. It's the way Paul lived. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. 
I live receiving by faith in him who loved me and gave himself for me. The new believer soon learns that God has not laid up a reservoir of grace within her. So that she, in her need, doesn't have to bother Christ for it, but has it herself. We're not camels that have endless resources, great internal reservoirs to draw upon. We're rather like leaky buckets. A camel may go for many days without water, but a leaky bucket needs constant refilling. And no sooner have you filled than you find yourself empty again. Do you you keep bumping into your emptiness? That's on purpose by God's design. He's not put the resources for living the Christian life within us ourselves. He's put them in Christ. To keep you ever going to him, to receive from him. You see, he would have you as receivers all the way home. Conversion doesn't make you a self-dependent person with your own reservoir of grace. Rather, God has made Christ himself the reservoir of grace for you. He's put the grace you need in him so that you'll just keep coming back to him again and again, living a life of receiving by faith in him. For in Christ... The fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And you have been made full. You have been given fullness in Christ. You see, your fullness is not in you. Your fullness is in Christ. Who has the fullness of deity in him. And that's what John is telling us here in John chapter 1. About this amazing person. He's full of grace. And and that grace in him is not for himself alone. It's, It's for me, who am constantly finding myself in need of more grace. And so he he has grace in him for me. Verse 16, John 1. And so from his fullness have all we what? Received. That's our word for the day. From his fullness have all we received what? Grace upon grace. The reception of grace was not one and done at conversion. No, we go on receiving one grace after another after another all the way home. If you're going to be a Christian, you need to get used to receiving. For we're never done receiving since he's never done giving. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. And that means you will go on receiving, receiving, receiving again. That's the role of faith in the Christian life. It's the great receiver from him. And this is the beauty of it. Do you know he's not bothered by our coming to him with our empty hands held out to receive? He's rather honored by it. He really does delight to give grace to his people. If if it bothered him, he would have given us larger reserves of grace so we wouldn't have to come and bother him so often. But he didn't. 
I think if we had grace for the week given us every Sunday, well, we might not come back to him until next Sunday. It's just the way we are. So what does he do? He says, that's not the communion I want with my people. That's not the, that's not the warmth of fellowship that I want with them. Just once a week coming to me. No, no, I, w- I want more than that. And so we're broken vessels. We're leaky buckets who no sooner receive than we've got to keep coming again. I'm I'm coming again, Lord. I'm here to receive more grace, more grace. He loves to give grace to the humble. They're the ones he esteems, we saw last week. They're the ones he looks to with esteem. They're the ones he makes his home among. Those who are humble, contrite, in heart. That's the fellowship he seeks. And didn't God teach a similar lesson each morning for 40 years in the wilderness to the the children of Israel? Children, how much manna were the Israelites to gather each day? Except for the sixth and seventh day. How much were they to gather? Only enough for that day. That day's need. That's how much they were to gather. And what happened to the guys who gathered extra for the next day? Well, their jar of manna was full of maggots, and it stank. It was full of maggots, just as their hearts were full of unbelief. God didn't give them manna for the week. He gave daily bread. And was that not meant to build faith and to teach daily dependence upon him? And say, is that not what the Lord Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer? What is that? Fourth petition, give us this day enough food for the month. We'd like that. We like to go to Costco and buy enough toilet paper for the rest of the year and enough food to fill our pantry. But that's not how Jesus teaches us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. And that means I need to come back tomorrow and pray again for daily bread. And he's teaching us dependence upon him Day by day, moment by moment. And best of all, he wants it that way. He delights in having his people come to him. We sing these choruses. He's all I need. He's all I need. Jesus is all I need. All that I need is in Jesus. He satisfies. Joy he supplies. Life would be worthless without him. All things in Jesus I find. He's more than enough for me. And we need to remind ourselves of these things. Everything I lack is found in him. And it's in him, not just for himself, but for us, his people. Answer me. It is not the sap in the vine meant to nourish all the branches too? Is the sap in the vine only to nourish the life of the vine? Oh, no, no. So in Christ, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But remaining in me, you will receive the very grace that I have within me to produce life and fruitfulness for you. And it's to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. And if you remain in me and my words remain in in you, well, then ask whatever you will, 
and it will be given to you. You see, this is how faith receives. It's by empty-handed asking. Asking according to his word. In God's kingdom, asking by faith is the way to receive. Ask and you will receive. For everyone who asks receives. Now that's the law of the kingdom. So much so that James can say, you have not because you ask not. And if any of you lacks wisdom, he he should ask God who gives generously to all and it will be given to him without finding fault. Oh, but but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, sea blown and tossed by the wind. Don't let that man think he will receive anything of the Lord. He's a double-blinded man, unstable and always. No, you must ask believing. That's faith coming to receive. That's the way. Believing prayer is the way to receive. Faith is the great receiver because God is such a generous giver and faithful to his promises. So he wants us to honor him. He wants us to honor his generosity by asking in faith. You're coming to a king, Newton said. So large petitions with you bring. For his grace and power are such that none can ever ask too much. Treat him like a king in your asking. He'll treat you like a king in his giving. So what do you need? See it first in Christ. And then go to him. And ask it from him for yourself. Now, now, Thomas Hooker. Uh, stated that principle of the Christian life and faith receiving. That, that what we need, we are to see first in Christ, see it in Him, and then go to Him and receive it from Him. But Hooker was just borrowing from David. And David got it from the Holy Spirit, Psalm 105 and verse 4. What is it that you need, believer? Are you growing weary? Faint? Is doing your duty seem too much for you? Is is obeying these commands sounding just, I can't do it anymore, I can't hold out? Uh, You need power, you need strength. See it first in Christ. Psalm 105, 4. Look to the Lord and His strength. Do you see it there? See it in his creation. Wow. Look at his strength. He he never grows tired or weary, but he gives strength to the weary. Look how he created the world out of nothing. See it in his redemption. He he acted for himself. There was no one else to save. so, So he acted. And oh, what the arm of the Lord accomplished. What power. See it in providence. And his judgments that he pours out upon the nations and, and how he provides for his people. What power. Look to the Lord and his strength. And when you see that strength in him, the next phrase, seek him. Seek his face. Always. So, so look and see it in him and then seek him for it. So you come and you, and you say, I, I don't have strength. But I see you do. And it's in you for me. Now, please, 
I'm looking, Lord. I'm, I'm holding out the arms of faith. Strengthen me. And we can be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power in just that way. Maybe it's patience you need. And you're running out. And you, you come and you confess that. But, but you come empty. Yes, that's humility. But, but the next thing is faith receiving. So, so how does it work? Well, we, we look to the Lord. Do you know he has patience? Read your Old Testament. Was he not patient? Was he not slow to anger with backsliding Israel? How often I sent my prophets to you and I would have gathered you. How often, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and stubborn people. He, so patient. Read the Gospels. Was he not patient with Peter and James and John? Same lessons over and over. He was willing to repeat them. They're recorded uh, several times. It must have been dozens of times. Patient with his people. So, so we look to the Lord and his patience. And then we seek his face always. Lord, I don't have this patience, but I see you do. And you have it for me. Please give me patience. And so we can be patience in, patient in the patience of the Lord. Maybe it's love. And your love is running cold. Maybe it's somebody that's hard to love. Look to the Lord in his love. Do you know he has that love? He has love for difficult people. He has love for his enemies. And that's why he laid down his life for you, his enemy. Oh, yeah. Lord, I see you have love for the unlovely, for your enemies. I need that love. Please give. We seek his face. Just as it was look and live, it's, it's now look and seek and receive. Faith, the great receiver. Faith looking to see it in Christ. Faith seeking to ask it from Christ. And faith receiving, drawing it from our Savior. That's living upon Christ and all that he is for all that you need. Maybe you're lost. And you know that it takes righteousness to get into heaven. What's the answer for you? Look to the Lord and his righteousness. Do you know he has a perfect righteousness? Worked out as a man, a real man, just like you. No different, same temptations. Yes, in every way like you. And, and he, he kept it. Every command, no sin. And so we come and we seek the Lord for it. And we, we hold out our hands and say, Lord, I have no righteousness of my own, but I see you do. Now give to me as it's in Christ for us to, to receive from him. If faith is the great receiver from Christ, then it's my own wretched unbelief that is my worst enemy. It's my own wretched unbelief that keeps me from Christ and from the grace I could receive and need to receive from him than to war with my wretched unbelief. I've got to get to Jesus. That was the determined heartbeat of the woman suffering for 12 years of a bleeding disease. She'd been elsewhere. 
She'd spent all of her living on doctors and only grew worse. But she looked to the Lord and had heard that he had what she needed. And so she sought him. And she didn't let anything stop her. Oh, the crowd was so thick that day. It was, it was shoulder to shoulder. And this, this little diseased woman worms her way through the crowd. And she's got to get to Jesus. He has what I need. I don't have that healing, but he does. And she got close enough to touch the hem of his garment, and immediately she was made whole. And Jesus says, who touched me? And Peter says, Lord, everybody's touching. No, no, somebody touched me. Finally, she comes out of the shadows and says, it was me, and here's why I touched you. I was sick with a bleeding disease. I couldn't fix it. Nobody could fix it. I knew you could. And in faith, I reached out. You know what he said to her? Woman, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Your faith has healed you? Now, that's shorthand, you know. Of course it wasn't her faith. Of course it was God's power that healed her. But it was her faith that accessed that power and received that power. And that's what Jesus put the emphasis on. That's what Jesus held up for praise. To teach others when you have need, you come in faith and you receive the healing. That's why he said on so many occasions, according to your faith, be it unto you. Faith, the great receiver. Jesus honors faith. It's his own grace. These are all graces. There's no humility but what God works in the heart. There's never any faith but what God gives. And where he sees it, he honors it. Your faith has made you whole. Got to get to Jesus. I love the way the writer to the Hebrews keeps chasing us to Jesus. He knows that faith grows best by looking upon the object of our faith. And that's why after pointing us in Hebrews 11 to all the examples of faith who have run the race and finished before us, uh, he then tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Now, Now, we're told to consider the faith of Abel and Enoch and Abraham and Jacob and Noah and Moses and Joshua. But nowhere are we told to fix our eyes on Abraham. And nowhere are we told to run the race looking unto Moses. But we are told, fix your eyes on Jesus. The grand object of faith, the author and finisher of faith, the one who exercised faith himself more than any other person ever exercised faith, the greatest liver by faith. Look to Jesus and run the race looking. And don't take your eyes off of him. Who exercised faith in his lowest point. As all he could see was the father's wrath. And he couldn't even. Appreciate that he was his father. My God. My God. Why have you forsaken me? 
And in that darkness, faith laid a hold of the joy that would be his of bringing many sons to glory. And, and, and because of that joy that was future, that, that only faith could see, he endured the cross. He stuck it out until he could say it is finished. He, he, he scorned its shame as he hung naked before the world, condemned by man and God. He scorned it. Why? Because he, by faith, he saw what was coming as the fruit of his suffering. And now he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And, and the writer of the Hebrews keeps saying, now look at him, consider him. And in chapter 4, he wants to tell us that there is on the right hand of the throne of the universe today a man, a real man. Dust, the dust of the earth is on the throne of heaven. And he's there for you. He's entered in on your behalf, Hebrews 6 tells us. So he's there for you. And he's got grace in him for you. So fix your eyes on Jesus. And, and see him for who he is. See what he has done. Do you know he knows exactly what you need in your present trials and temptations? And that's not because he's all-knowing. He is. But he knows it by personal experience. Because he's been here. He became flesh and blood. With a nature just like ours, human. And that means he knows all about our limitations, all about our weaknesses, all about our temptations, firsthand. Doesn't need to have anybody tell him about it. He's experienced it. And he was tempted in every way, just like we are, yet without sin. And because he has suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those of us who are being tempted. And so he who was here is now there. And he's there on the throne that rules the universe. And he's there for us. And he's qualified to the hilt to be our merciful and faithful high priest. Able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. Do you believe that? Our weaknesses. Where do your weaknesses show? My weaknesses show in my trials. My weaknesses show in my temptations. And yes, my weaknesses show in my sins. Never do I see my weaknesses so clearly as when I sin. And this passage tells me, if I will be, but, but believe it, that Jesus is not looking on in heaven ready to pounce on me, but he's pitying me. Oh. He's, his heart is running out in compassion for me. Just then, when I'm in my trials, my temptations, and my failures in sin. And it's because he's that kind of great high priest that the writer to the Hebrews says, Now therefore, let us, therefore, approach the throne of grace. Let us approach the throne of grace not with trembling, but with confidence. 
knowing that he's pitying us. And, and why do we come? Got to get to Jesus. Why? So that we might receive. There's our word for the day. That we might receive mercy. What do sinners need? What do people, what do Christians need who have just sinned? We need mercy. And there's mercy with the Lord to be had. So we, we, we approach the throne of grace with confidence to receive mercy. What else do we need? We need grace to help us in our, in our trials, our times of need. And that's what he's got. Grace to help us. So whatever your trial, your temptation, your sin, Jesus has just the mercy, just the grace to help you in it. He doesn't ignore you in his time of need. He doesn't pounce on you in your time of sin. He's rather all the more full of pity and sympathy. So don't let anything stop you from getting to Jesus. He's the king of grace. And he's reigning in heaven on the throne of grace. And he's reigning there in order to give mercy and grace to help you in your weakness, in your time of need. So go and get it, holding out the empty hands of faith to receive it all from him. He's there for you. He he was tempted and he suffered being tempted. And he did did that for you so that now he, he... He will know better by personal experience how to help you with compassion. Are you needy? You qualify. Come empty, leave full. Throw yourself in your emptiness upon his fullness and tell him what you don't have, but you know that he has and has it for you. And then ask and receive and find Day by day, hour by hour, that his fullness is more than enough for your emptiness. Just stand with me and we'll confess our need together. I need thee every hour. I need thee every hour. Most gracious Lord. But but we know that what we need is in you, and that's why we're coming to you. Let's take our our hearts and whatever we need to him this morning as we sing. Let's go to him. King of grace, our blessed Lord, we do thank you for the record of scripture telling us who you are, what you're like, and we never once found you turning away anyone who came to you for grace. We never once found you uh, unable to do what they asked, but we found you to be glad, to make others glad. And we come with our need, and we thank you that you see it and you pity it, and we ask you to give us then and to teach us this dynamic of looking and finding in you what we need and therefore asking and receiving by faith. All that we might bear more fruit, which is to your Father's glory, we ask it in your name. Amen.